Warning, the following podcast contains violent scenes that may be unsettling to some listeners. Listener discretion is advised. Hello, and welcome to The Brian Diaries, where my pals and I get together and talk about subjects dealing with our favorite tabletop role-playing setting, The World of Darkness. While we may not be subject matter experts on the game lines, we have a passion that has led us to create and share actual plays with you all. Eventually we thought, well shit, we might as well take a stab at a podcast, and here you go. Each episode, we will have a guest content creator to join us to talk about whatever subject is on the table. If you'd like to contact us, you can reach out to us on Twitter at twin underscore cities underscore VTM or on Facebook at Twin Cities by Night. So here we go. I hope you enjoy. Hello and welcome to the Brian Diaries. I'm your host, Chris. And man, I am chocked full of cold brew coffee right now. So I'm super hyper and feel like I can do a million things. And that's a good segue to a man that I have known in the scene who loves to do millions of different things. I can't even name off everything that he has his hands in, but I'd like to introduce my co-host for today, Josh Heath. Hello, Josh. Hey, Chris. I'm happy to be here. Very excited about uh, talking about the stuff we're talking about today. Yeah, man, I'm stoked. Like uh, one thing that we try to do here at the Brian Diaries is we'll invite content creators who kind of are knowledgeable about a certain field that we feel people can could perhaps find useful and that's what we're going to be doing today. But before we jump into that, Josh, why don't you introduce yourself a little bit and tell us some of the things that you're involved in when it comes to like White Wolf and role-playing games in general. Cool. Yeah. Um, so I am the chief operations, the chief operations officer of high-level games, um, which is a really high flute title for volunteer with his hands in everything we do. Um, the, I think the first thing that I want to talk about is we've got a convention coming up in Atlantic City in October of 2018, which is going to be at the Showboat Hotel. Which, uh, if you have if you've never been there, if you've never been to Atlantic City or the Showboat, the place is amazing. Um, it's a little bit old at this point, but they just got purchased and they're doing a lot of renovations. And there's some there's some places inside that hotel that are perfect for vampire LARP. Um, there is like a hidden kind of alcove bar area, um, which just screams like 1920s speakeasy style place. Um, so there's going to be some cool stuff going on about that. Um, so that's HLGCon. Um, you're going to be able to find more information on that pretty soon at HLGCon.com. The website's not up yet. It will be up very, very soon. So keep your eyes on highlevelgames.ca, which is our main website. Um, and that is kind of our place for our blog. High Level Games is focused on taking your game to the next level, which is kind of a pretentious um, uh, sort of quote for trying to make games better and trying to make gamers a little bit better overall. Um, not, you know, 20th level D&D games. We're talking more about, like, how do we bring our games to uh, more people? How do we make games more accessible? How do we make games fun for everybody, for whoever decides to sit down at the table, um, virtual or otherwise? So that's kind of what I do there. I'm also the lead designer for the game products that High Level Games is putting out. Um, we're going to talk about some of that later. Um, but we also put out some stuff for fantasy games as well as White Wolf games. So we've got a whole bunch of what we call one-pagers. Um, so we've got six more that are in production. But we currently have one that is up for Savage Worlds, Dungeons and Dragons, and that's called A Cat's Meow. Uh, it's also out for Pathfinder, D&D 3.5, Cypher System. There's a bunch of different stuff. It's out for everything, pretty much. So that's pretty much what I do with, with high-level games, at least. Yeah, I mean, it's some of the articles that you guys produce are really ingestible. I love like like the one you recently did about the four ways to to integrate pen text into your game, and just like this is like something I would never even think of like there'd be an article about, but then it shows up and you're like, oh hey, I'll read this, you know. So it's <laughs> it's really awesome, and 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 yeah, you guys can follow them on Twitter. We'll put all their information in the in the notes of the podcast and of the YouTube video that you guys will see different ways that you can find them. Is that con that you're doing? Is that like a role playing game? centric con or is it a larp con or yeah it's a little bit of both it's i'm a big larper um i have a lot of friends in the larp scene so it's gonna have a pretty heavy larp focus but we're also trying to have a good balance of larp and tabletop we have a large we have a large space this we have three million square feet of space that we could use 
plus other space around that three million square feet that we could use. Um, we're gonna so we're gonna have more space than we know what to do with. Um, but there's a big hall that I'm planning on using for tabletop games. It's gonna be perfect for it. So there's definitely a lot of opportunity for a lot of cool stuff. Yeah, that space is good room to store kegs and cold brew. If I if I could give a <laughs> uh, give an idea there, but no, that's awesome. And um, again, uh, check out their stuff. Great stuff. Josh is also one of the mods at the White Wolf RPG Media and Gameplay Facebook group that we run. So it's really awesome. He has this awesome insight. I, th- I think you're like the most polite of all this mods. Not that we're rude or whatever, <laughs> but like someone will post something that's not loud or ask a question and he'll respond with the in-depth thing. And it's just awesome. Great. I've, I've found that there are some really uh, good people involved in the scene who are super friendly and humble, especially with the experience and background that you have and other have others have and, and josh is one of those folks i'm really glad to have him here so awesome stuff so we're going to take our first break and when we get back what we're going to be doing is talking about white wolf storytellers vault which josh has his hands in also so stay tuned hello folks have you ever wished you could have an easy way to find gameplay videos and podcasts or just media in general that deals with your favorite white wolf role-playing games Or have you ever wished you could find a forum to share gameplay that you have recorded, one which wouldn't be drowned out by random posts and discussion so that your media could get the attention you want? Well, we have the answer for you in a Facebook group we run called White Wolf RPGs Gameplay and Media. The group is specifically ran with the sole intent of it being a one-stop shop for people to view or share media involving the games we all love. We take thorough steps to ensure the page does not become cluttered and is easy to traverse. We are currently over 1,000 members strong, and we are continuing to rapidly grow with new media being shared every day. Stop on by. We hope to see you there. All right, welcome back. So... We're, today we're going to be talking about the White Wolf Storytellers Vault, which, correct me if I'm wrong, Josh, and I'm not saying White Wolf is is, is taking this idea from anyone, but Dungeons & Dragons kind of has had something like this where where people can work on modules and different things like that. I'll let you explain to, to, to the audience and to me exactly what the Storytellers Vault is. So the Storytellers Vault is a creation system for fan fan-created products for the world of darkness for the classic world of darkness only and for the moment only for vampire the masquerade and a couple of the the sub genres of vampire the masquerade so vampire dark ages vampire victorian um kindred of the ebony kingdom which is the african um focused supplement is going to be coming out really really soon so that's kind of the focus of the storytellers vault and it's designed for fans to be able to to take the stuff that they've worked on and created over the years and make some money off of it. Um, you were you were mentioning that it's kind of based off something that D&D did, and that's absolutely right. Um, Dungeons & Dragons has what's called the DMs Guild, and that's been out for, dang, I want to say that's been out for five years now. It's been out for a couple of, of years at least, um, and that's designed as a way to, to let fans and small indie companies get their hands dirty uh, with you know, the world's greatest role-playing game, as it were, as they like to call it. Um, But the Storytellers Vault takes that same idea and says, okay, our fans have been creating White Wolf material for their home games for 25 years now. Some There are great writers out there. Why don't you have a chance to, one, get paid for the stuff that you're putting together, and two, um, get... um, get known really for being a good writer. Like it's a great way for someone to do something akin to fan fiction, but actually get paid for it. So I think it's a pretty cool idea from that perspective. Yeah. It's funny when I first heard word start coming down the, the, the pipe about that, there was going to be a storyteller's Well, I remember in my head, I had like these grandiose ideas, how I was going to write like this, uh, Twin Cities by Night source book for a first story arc we did. It was going to be like full of illustration and these NPC write-ups and um you know like when i take notes for my games i just like literally have like a bullet system i go in word and do bullets and and then i have like a list of npcs and a spreadsheet but like i sat down and i realized i got about like four in-depth you know like 
uh, uh, NBC background descriptions. I even did like the do- double columns that like the old school books used to have. Yeah. And um, and then I just realized, holy shit, this took me like three weeks to type this up. And 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 it kind of like, and then the storytellers all opened up. And then you just had this huge wave of people. And I realized, holy cow, there's a huge market. Because I almost tied into like how um, the publishing industry just in general is, is a lot different than it was 30 years ago, you know, like in the oh, 80s, yeah. 90s, you know, even the early 2000s, you had to like, you know, get notice, have a publisher pick you up, have it professionally edited, so on and so forth. But then you start seeing like, quote unquote, these fan fiction books get picked up by Hollywood. Now, these two aren't the greatest of examples, but like Fifty Shades of Grey, which I, I still have never read, but I heard was written on a Blackberry by the author and Twilight were, were pretty much written by people who had not been picked up by publishers. And look at but you have like movies that are out now and they're, you know, and they're kind of part of the American lexicon when it comes to fiction. And so this is just another example, how the industry overall is changing. And I think it's awesome. I mean, to be honest with you now, um, to be, to be honest, I don't think anyone could possibly, I'm, I'm, I'm still trying to go back and read the old world of darkness stuff, let alone, <laughs> you know, the new stuff that is coming out, which kind of leads me to, um, I guess in in about in my second question or the second point is I am Joe Schmo. I finally get the, the, the cojones. And by the way, for you, Josh and others who do write and put this stuff up, you know, you have a big set of cojones for doing that because I think to publicly show your work out there, you know what I mean? Uh, takes any content creator, you know what I mean? It takes, it takes guts because the internet's a harsh place as we all well know, you know what I mean? And so to be able to put that out there, kudos to everyone who does that. But for those who do the storytellers vault, how does it work when it comes to like sales, how they make money? Cause I've seen like some comments. I, I saw one comment by Shane DeFree saying he wished he saw people would actually charge more for their stuff. He feels that sometimes people are robbing themselves or not like giving themselves enough, I guess, credit, you know what I mean? To, to, to by adequately pricing their, their work. So can you explain that to us and the viewers? Yeah. Um, you know, first thing, you're absolutely right. The publishing industry has tra- has changed so dramatically over the last 10 years in particular that nothing, traditional books to game publishing doesn't look anything like what it used to. Um, the fact that it's possible to now just sit in your basement or your house, whatever, you know, we're not all basement dwellers, but, you know, to, to wherever you're writing to uh, to produce a, a supplement for a game and have people actually like read it and appreciate it. Ten years ago, that never would have happened in the RPG industry. It just didn't work like that. Um, so it's that's pretty amazing on that level to begin with. Um, so the Storyteller's Vault, um, the way it pays is kind of interesting because White Wolf gets 50% of the profits. So... I'm our, say I sell a book for $10, they get $5 off the top, I get the, the rest, I get five bucks. Um, that sounds, that sound, it's fair, you know what I mean? You're playing with their IP, um, getting 50% of the profits for something that someone else owns the entire intellectual property for is pretty, pretty huge. Uh, you know, that's yeah. good money in your pocket. Um, I agree. That said, one of the problems with with content creators in both the DMs Guild and the Storytellers Vault so far, is people undervalue their work in general because you're doing two different things. You know, you're trying to create a market for yourself as someone potentially that is unknown, but you're also trying to get paid for the actual amount of work that you put into something. Um, and I'll I'll use as an example. You know, one of my um, I, we've been creating what we call one-page chronicle jump starts. Um, I think we'll talk a little bit more about them later, but um, one of those took me 72 hours from idea to fully created, laid out in design, character sheets fully created, whole thing put together, cover art, like I just had the whole thing done because I knew what I wanted to do. So that wasn't, it was actually like six or seven hours of work. And I'm like, okay, for me, Selling that for a dollar fifty is fair, you know the amount of work I put into it. Um, that's a fair price point, but some people want to sell two hundred page books for three dollars, and they're professionally laid out. They're super well done, and I'm like, man, you can't charge three dollars for a book that that's big, that that is that big. It just doesn't work that way. Oh wow, yeah. I mean, 
yeah, especially like you said, if it's professional looking, it's not written in crayon, a notepad or something like that, you know, if it looks good and it's worth it. Yeah. Get your due, especially. Yeah. Yeah. It's and it's weird. Like I get it because particularly when you're unknown, you're like, I want to just build a market. And if I sell 30 of these, I sell 30 of these. And wow, that's, that's amazing. But you don't want to undervalue the time and energy you put into something. And if people like what you have, they will pay for it. And if you charge $10 for something and people won't pay for it, it's probably because you need to go back and edit it. You need to take another look at it and make sure that it's the quality that $10 deserves, even if it's the length that, that qualifies for $10. You know what I mean? Yeah, definitely. I mean, and there's also the ways too, and that you kind of bring up a good point where you say like, you know, people are nervous and they're not sure and they want to, you know, they want to undercharge so they can get people to bite and look at it. But one thing that I've noticed a lot, I mean, a lot lately, even on our media page, is that there are people who will review Storyteller Vault works, you know what I mean? And so if you have content and you create something, you know, I would say if I, and mind you, uh, this is outside, very outside looking in, you know, I, I probably will never put anything on the Storyteller's Vault uh, because <laughs> just because I'm not a writer, but if I was in their shoes, I know one thing that I would probably do is go to some of these people I see who write reviews that I've seen posted on different groups or pages and be like, hey, here's a copy of my 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 content. Can you do a fair review? And and if they review it good, I would think that would make that would make it to where it's more tempting for people to buy if for the price that's deserved. Am I am I yeah. correct in that assertion? Absolutely. Reviews are so important. Reviews are shockingly important. Um I'll touch on your point in a second, but I want to like emphasize something related to that is that a bad review will suck the sales out of a content creator just as quickly as a good review will bring people to buy it. Um, and there's a weird, so there's a five-star rating on um, Drive-Thru RPG, the Storyteller's Vault, DM's Guild, all of that. It's, it uses the same five-star rating. If something's marked three stars, you're going to have 50% less sales than you would have if it's a four-star product. It's that drastic of a shift. So when, if someone comes along and the first thing that they do is give you three stars, you're going to have a tough time selling that product because people are going to look at that three stars and go, oh, it's not worth it. Even if the reason that someone gave it three stars isn't a valid, in my opinion, you know, everyone has their own like kind of thoughts here, but Sometimes the reasons people dock a star off someone don't make any sense. And it can be frustrating as a content creator to see that review and go, okay, I don't know. I don't know if that deserved a full star, but I get where you're coming from. And then you have to try to kind of like work with the reviewer, maybe respond to them. And you have this kind of back and forth. Um, that said, you're absolutely right. One of the best things that I have done so far with my stuff is send it to people for, for free and I don't send a lot. I send about three or four copies to different reviewers and they review it. They give me a good solid review. They put it on their website. They put it on the Storytellers Vault, their review. And that that is proven to be a positive way of getting sales for stuff because other people then know, okay, this is what I'm getting from this without having to put my money forward. And that's just a solid good idea. Yeah, I mean, uh, it sounds like the same issues with reviewing obviously not because uh, money's not involved, but like with YouTube and just anything, it's just such a frustrating thing to deal with because I feel that like, while a, it does ser serve a purpose in a way it can be easily abused and misused. And it can, this is one of the, oh, that's one of the most frustrating things for me being a content creator. Now, as when you leave a review on the storytellers vault, do you have to leave, do they force you to leave a comment on, uh, or can you, is there any kind of like, I guess, way to like balance someone just going through and being like, you know, a jerk and just going through things and putting negative reviews for no reason or? Yeah, um, I think I'm 98% I'm sure you have to leave at least like a 20 word review if you, if you want to review something or rate something. I okay. know like the professional stuff that White Wolf puts out, you can actually just leave stars and say, this is a five-star product for me or a four-star product or whatever. Um, and that's fine. Like people um, that you have a way of doing that. But I think the Storyteller's Vault requires you to put in a, a comment with your review as well, um, which is good. And I think it's good too that that the content creator gets to, they kind of 
are, are put into like a forum sort of like system with the people re leaving reviews where I can make a comment back to them. Um, like one one of ours, um, one of our products has two Ventru in it. And because I wanted it to be open to storyteller kind of decision-making, I didn't put in what their feeding restriction was because I don't know what your game is like. I don't know what sort of things are okay or not okay for you and your players to deal with. I don't, I don't really want to get into that realm, but a person docked us an entire star because we didn't provide that information. And I was like, man, that's valid. And I provided it in the thread. It was like, here, here were my thoughts on what these two individuals feeding restrictions would be like. And so at least when you see like a concern, you can go and deal with it, or you can even update the, the PDF and have uh, those changes kind of uh, be put into place based on feedback and things like that as well. Oh, that's really awesome. I like that. I, I, I like that a lot. That, that's cool. To, co to continue real quick with this review stuff. Now, I, and I'm horrible because I can't remember the gentleman's name, but I, there's someone in the media group who posts his reviews of stuff. Are there, and my question, I guess, is can you, off the top of your head, think of a couple of reviewers who are known kind of for going through and reviewing Storyteller Vault stuff that you would recommend? John Michael Sharp. And he's, um, he's been really good about reviewing stuff which I've been really impressed with um, just because his reviews are pretty fair. Like he offers a, a general, like, would I buy this? Would I not buy this sort of feedback? Which to me, that's the thing I want. I want someone to say, I would buy this. I would not buy this. And this is why. Like those two sentences are super valuable to me. Um, uh, EN World is also uh, doing a monthly storytellers wrap up where they go through different storytellers vault products and review them. Uh, I don't know what the official way of having them um, look at things is, but I reached out via email to the person that does the reviews. And I said, Hey, like I've got all this stuff on there. Would you take a look at it? And they were really, really generous. And I, they highlighted all of my stuff this month, which was huge, which I was like, I was blown away by because that's a big venue and like a really solid uh, review as well of, of the whole uh, jump starts that we created. So very happy about that. That's cool. That's very cool. So yeah, uh, feel free to check them out. Uh, any of those two out, I would, I would say it's a good tactic to take, you know, it seems to work. So you mentioned earlier that the game lines are like, uh, you know, all the additions of Vampire the Masquerade, right? Even including 20th, right? And right. then Dark yeah. Ages, all the, all the versions, all the uh, additions of Dark Ages, right? Yep. And then uh, Victorian. And you said Ebony Kingdom's coming up. Uh, my question is, are there going to be any more game lines coming through like soon that you've heard? You said Ebony, but are they, are, is, is, is it just, because I like the slow process that they seem to be doing. You know what I mean? To me, it's like the slow release of, hey, you can use this line, you can use this line now, you can use this line, prevents like a huge tsunami of stuff coming through. And I would say in a way it builds like an anticipation, you know, like you announce like, Hey, Victorian. Cause I saw when they started announcing Victorian was going to come through the pipe and you can see people getting excited for that. Mm -hmm. Is that in your opinion, what they're going to uh, soon start doing in other old world of darkness lines or one world of darkness lines, like werewolf next mage eventually is that, do you think that's their end goal or. Yeah. So when the storytellers vault was first teased as a concept, um, they said, and they're sticking to this, that every single original, classic, whatever term you want to use, World of Darkness game line is eventually going to be open for the Storyteller's Vault. Now, I like your way of thinking about it, but it's not the reason why they're doing it slowly. Like, it's, it's a solid thought process, um, and it actually does exactly that. It stops a tsunami of, of just stuff arriving on the vault day one and then you're trying to sift through it and figure out what's good and what's not um, but the reason that they're taking their time or one of the reasons they're taking their time is because they're actually creating full templates in word and in design that are professional templates for people to use to make their books which is super difficult like that is a super long process as someone that uh, is teaching themselves in design through this like system uh, the, having a template, having a professional template created by Donna Devere and I think Shane DeFries, they, I, they're both tag teaming this creation process of these different templates is amazing. Like I, it makes 
creating these things so much easier. Like the Dark Ages template, when I got that, it took me 10 minutes to figure out how the template worked. And then I created the book. Like it was that easy to just be able to jump in and create something that's professional looking that people want to buy. And creating those templates takes takes time, takes a lot of time. Well, that's cool. Yeah, that the more you know, I actually didn't know that was issue, but that makes a lot of sense too, because also a lot of that stuff, it may, um, I don't know if that existed back in originally, you know, when, when White Wolf was doing that, you know, in the late 90s, early 2000s, and they just got lost to time or whatever. Yeah, lost to time, you know. So that's cool. That's awesome. So my, my, my next question is, what advice would you give for people doing it more in a technical aspect? You mentioned a program called InDesign and templates. Like if I'm Joe Schmo and I have this great, awesome idea and I have it all the notes ready and I want to write this out, but I want it to look professional and I want it to, 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 to look like a quality book, what would you recommend? So there are two things that I would recommend. The first is um, maybe I have more than a couple of things to recommend. That's a good question. It's a really like solid question. Um, the first thing to do is write everything that you're going to have as your content in Word or in Google Docs or whatever word processing software you have and edit it, edit it, edit it, edit it. <laughs> like... <laughs> Edit Scott. Yeah, I'll talk about yeah. that later on my own stuff, but yes, editing the must. <laughs> the the worst thing that I've seen content creators do is throw up a book that obviously they didn't edit. And I'm like, you just shot yourself in the foot because I will not give you I will not like take your stuff as seriously as I should, because I can tell you didn't even give this like a second pass through editing. And that's that like key, like from a technical standpoint, edit your content first. Make sure all your words are the way you want them to look first. Then the second thing you got to do is you can do your layout in two different programs right now. Um, either Word, you they actually have templates for Word where you can do where you can create a whole PDF in Word, which you got to hate yourself to want to do that because Word is a pain in the ass. Like. Uh, Sorry for the language, but Word is just not like a good program to use for doing book layout. We're a curse-friendly zone, so you, you curse okay. till your heart desires. So. <laughs> All right, man. Cool. <laughs> um, yeah, so that's the, like, the first thing is you, can, you could do an entire book in Word if you wanted to. I tried to do my first one in Word and decided, no, I'm, I'm going to go get InDesign. I've done a book in InDesign before. I'm going to like reteach myself how to do this. Um, Adobe InDesign is the program I'm talking about. And it's part of the Adobe suite of programs, which you can download for, you can pay $20 a month, which is what I do. I pay $20 a month to have access to InDesign and it's super worth it. It takes me on average about four to five hours of solid work to lay out a, a 20 page book. Holy cow, that's awesome, man. Yeah, yeah uh, I tried to do, <laughs> I tried to, when I made the, mentioned earlier how i was trying to do mpc write-ups i was trying to use word with no template but trying to just to make the double columns like the old school books just like yep. drove me nuts every times i wanted to throw my laptop across the room because it was just so frustrating uh but that man those templates are awesome and to kind of go back to the editing that you said editing is like absolutely when it comes to writing now i'm not a writer but i'm a huge like reader i love collecting books and and i'm a fan of reading and um like a lot of these writers who i would hope to think that writers try to emulate at least want to reach their level like the steaming kings the whatever name a top you know author that you like they like when they're done writing a book that's not the end of it they usually go through two or three rewrites of that book and then they go through an editor and then it goes through all this stuff and and they just chop stuff off because as an insider sometimes meaning the person who creates whatever content and i would assume writing's the same way you're kind of a little jaded the first time you write it. You know what I mean? You're just thinking this yep. is the greatest thing ever, the greatest thing ever, the greatest thing ever. And then when you're like, okay, I'm going to like look at it from an outside perspective and go through this. Then you start realizing, you know, that some of the things that, that, that need to get cut off. It's just the part you're not, it's just the importance of being a writer. I agree with you. I I've read a couple fan fictions, I guess they would be called. And um, there've been times where I've like, oh man, this stuff could have been edited out. You know what I mean? Or it doesn't flow right. You know, which leads me to bring up, uh, one thing that I happen to see that you guys offer on higher level games is the the you guys are offering to where you will edit people's stuff, right? For the storytellers vault. Yep. 
um, one of the things that high level games does, one of our focuses is on helping small game designers get their ideas to market. So you're, you've been talking about, and I'm not going to sales pitch you, but you've been talking about how you've got ideas and how you've been doing this stuff in, in Twin Cities by Night. There are tons of, of people out there that have an idea that is super close to being ready to hit, like, hit the streets, as it were. And all they need is someone to do maybe three things. Um, I'm going to talk about the editing process a little bit, like real quick. The first thing is maybe a developmental editing pass where we go through and we say, do you need all of this content? Does everything you have from A to Z make sense? Does it help the game? Does it provide things that people are going to be interested in? We give a pass for that. And then we do a pass, what's called proofreading, where I go through or someone goes through and says, um, are, are you writing and or an? <laughs> you know, for example, uh, are you uh, adding an extra S to a word that doesn't need it? Things like things that just make the book look unprofessional, the writing look unprofessional. We go and we proofread, we clean all that up. Um, then the final thing, uh, and some people do this uh, the other way, proofreading or copy editing. I'll usually do copy editing last where I go and I look at a sentence and I go, does this sentence tell me what you think it means? And if it does, cool, I'm going to leave it alone. But if it doesn't, I'm going to offer a suggested rewrite where I'd be like, okay, you could write this this way and it's going to be more effective. So High Level Games offers all three of those services, developmental editing, copy editing, proofreading, because we want people to produce stuff that people want to read. Yeah, I mean, you, to, to, to add on to that, just popped in my head, like when you read about successful authors and you read interviews with them, you'll see a lot of these authors will give homage to their editors. Like, this is the guy who kept me on track. This is the guy who made me successful. This is the guy who did that because it's, it's, a, it's a relationship. Because, like I said, to be a writer, you really want to take your project on the next level. And you need someone who's going to be there to rein you in. You guys who are writers, content creators, whatever, I get it, man. You got all these ideas and you want to implement them all and you want the whole world to see them. I mean, ask the guys and our gaming group, man, like they hear my, all my, what if I run this? What if I run this? What if I start running five games at once? You know, and they have to rein me in because it's this natural when you're creative. I'm not trying to be yep. snooty by acting like I'm so creative, you know, super creative person. I'm just saying, when you have ideas, you have ideas and they all sound fucking awesome. Yep. Makes you feel bipolar at times, I'm sure. And it's <laughs> oh, like, yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. And you need that guy who's like, calm down. Let me take a look at it. And the su truly successful people, have them and i'm going to give an example it doesn't deal with the gaming industry per se but i a couple years ago i'm a huge Brazilian jiu-jitsu mixed martial arts fan and there was a fighter a retired fighter who did a self-published book it was actually the first self-published book i ever bought i bought it on amazon spent 25 dollars on this damn book because i love reading autobiographies and within like 50 pages i was just like i can't believe i wasted my money on this just because the the grammar issues because of like no one went through and edited it. And I'm not like trying to act like you, you know, it didn't meet my standards. No, I'm not saying <laughs> that. I'm just saying it was so distracting. Right. It right. took me out right. of the story, you know? Yep. Exactly. It could take you out of the story. You're drawn in, you're drawn in. And it's like, and, and, or something like that, you know, and you're like, Oh, I'm out of it now. Like what the yep. hell this me out of the mood. And it, that's it. Bad editing breaks immersion. And that's as simple as it is. Like, you want to be in the headspace when you're reading a book to like, like, especially like a world of darkness book, you want to be feeling like, what's this plot idea I have now? Like, Ooh, you just gave me a story hook. One of the things that I tell people about some of the new stuff, like that Matt Dawkins or Matthew Dawkins and some of the other like um, Onyx path writers do is I have to stop. And th I, this is a mark of a good gaming book. If I have to stop every page and make notes, you've written a good page. Because you've given me stuff that makes me go, ooh, I could, I could run a game about this. I could do this in this story. I could do this with that. Like, that's what you should always feel like when you're reading something like this. And when you're reading a book book, you should just want to read and not want to, like, put the book down. Exactly. You know, it's, it's, it's kind of it's, uh, it's funny. Um, and and I'm, not, I'm not trying to um, sound insulting here, but I think we know that White Wolf fiction mm. probably doesn't have the – a lot of it doesn't have that good of a reputation. Yep. But man, I read the Victorian Age trilogy series by Philip Burrell, I think his name was. I got so, I mean, this, and this is a testament to like, I think good writing and I'm sure good editing is that A, he took 
those 13 core NPC set they each had for each clan revised came out and made them interesting because I frankly whenever I read a story with any of them involved I just kind of checked out mentally and then he, there was scenes in that book that he, like were horrific it's a really good horror novel I'm, I'm not going to spoil it. everyone should read it but there's a couple scenes where I was so into that book so into that book and I read that horror scene I just had to close it put it down and like sit there and re- recuperate because I was like right. and there's not that a lot of authors I mean I have read professional novel. I'm not saying those books aren't professional but I've read like big name authors in like the horror and suspense industry that have, have not had that effect on me that have yeah. not literally made me go I need to close this and put this down because it did such a good job pulling me in so that that is really key and critical to this stuff and I guess like I would say these are good this is good advice that you're giving because with this, you want to stick out. You want to stick out in a market full of people. You know what I mean? Of course, it's all about raising each other up and helping each other up, but you're in there to get your stuff noticed. And so hopefully someone will listen to these, this advice that you give and kind of take it to heart. Now, my final question, and I'm going to throw it to you, is, man, amongst the millions of things that you seem to be working on all the time, you're working on some stuff in the Storyteller's Vault. Tell us about it. Get us hyped up for stuff that's coming out soon. And, uh, and the floor is yours, sir. Cool. Um, so yeah, the products we have out right now are what we call uh, one-page chronicle jump starts, which is a lot cooler than it sounds. Um, but basically, it's a single page of plot that says, "Okay, these are different things that are happening. This is an instigating action. This is uh, a basic way for you to construct a chronicle." Um, one of the things I've found that that seems to be hard for folks and has been hard for me in the past is that initial kernel of an idea. Like, okay, I want to run this story. I want to get to this point, but I don't know how to start it. I don't know where to like get things kicked off. So we wrote what we um, what we have now are seven different one-page jump starts um, on the storytellers. But we wrote five for the modern era. And we have one for Dark Ages and one for Victorian era. Um, so the modern ones are now packaged in a single product called Dark New England Jumpstarts. Um, that we're selling for five dollars, um, which is which saves you two dollars because each of the individual jumpstarts a dollar fifty. Um, but basically, that's five different ways for you to start a chronicle, or you can use all five of them in a longer chronicle because they're all interconnected. Um, but we pre- we create the one page of plot and then enough NPCs for you to run the plot. So, for example, A Singular Darkness, which was the very first one I wrote, which my initial thought process with that was going to be a one-to-one, one-page chronicle jumpstart. Like, I was imagining a storyteller that has one player that's like, I want to try out this Vampire the Masquerade game. I don't really know what it's about, but it, I wanted to get the feel. I wanted to get the, like, the themes I wanted to get the that slight like personal existential horror that we're supposed to feel in vampire that I don't think everyone always gets to but I wanted to capture that in in that sort of thing so that was the impetus for the entire idea was if you have one player and one storyteller what sort of story can you tell that super personal horror like um, so I wrote that one and that has one NPC because it's supposed to be designed to be a pretty direct story um but from there each of them i think one of them has seven npcs and it ended up being seven i think 19 pages long so when we call these one page chronicle know, jump right? False advertisement. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but and, and it's funny because people will like be confused because they're like oh what can i do with one page and i'm like all right it's one page of plot and then you have everything that you would have in a classic White Wolf book where you have like uh, you have a full character sheet. So in the one page jump starts, we uh, we gave a full character sheet, like an actual one you could print out from Mr. Gunn's website or whatever, um, because I thought it, it's easier to just print those off and use them that way. Um, in the Victorian era, we decided to go with the more standard White Wolf like NPC stat block. But I'll talk about that in a second. Um, but yeah, you'd have a full NPC sheet, but you'd also have all of the background details. So you have a full background on each of these NPCs. You have role-playing hints for them. You have their motivations. You have all of their discipline information. You have everything you would need to be able to look at this story and go, oh, 
I know how to use this. I know how to drop my players into this. I know where I'm going to go with this in the future. Um, and we actually got caffeinated conquests to do uh, two actual plays, which are awesome. Like they're super fun. I loved seeing them take my ideas and make them reality in their vision of the like the hints that I was giving them. Uh, and I was straight up laughing several times because I was like, that's exactly what I was going for. So it was awesome. <laughs> Chaz is an awesome storyteller. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. He was the, he was uh, a guest on our last episode and great stuff. Check out their stuff. Definitely. So um, when I was thinking about doing the whole Twin Cities by Night thing, I talked to my buddy, uh, Brandon Carrion, who's the host of Full Metal RPG. He's going to be our guest uh, uh, next month. And he's a, he, on the side, he likes to draw a lot. He's a great artist, man. And um, he like did these drawings of the NPCs for this Giovanni Chronicles game he ran that I played in. And it was really awesome. And I was kind of talking to him because I was like, well, to, to go back again, this is never going to happen in real life. I'm not going to ever produce this book. But in my mind, I'm like, I'm going to make this book and just give it to the world, like Robin Hood, and be like, here, you want a copy? You want a copy? You want a copy? Everyone gets a copy. And then I slowly realized I was just, you know, being, you know, overly whatever excited. And I was talking about like artists and like art and commissioned work because he would do some commissioned work for some people. Mm. So I've talked to you on the side a couple times because I pick your brain all the time about mm. stuff. And you've kind of hinted that you're working on kind of like a, 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 a serious, I don't want to say none of your, I don't want to say your one page stuff isn't serious by far. I'm not trying to implement or uh, uh, indicate that, but you're working on like a book book, right? Like a core book for, for Vampire the Masquerade. Am I correct in that? Yeah. So, so what we're working on right now is I'm going to back up and say that I've, we've left hints in several different one pagers about what we're doing, what the next big thing as it were is going to be um in one like clue is that our our modern jump starts are called dark new england five chronicle jump starts like there's a hint there like what we're working on um the victorian era jump start is set in boston in 1888 and uh we used a lot of the information from the book we're working on to write that Victorian era one-page jumpstart. Um, we actually straight up like just stole a couple of our NPCs from the book we're working on and dropped them into that and said, okay, here, you know, here's a plot line. Take these NPCs, play, see how you like them, see what you do with them. So what we're working on, because I've been teasing it, what, what we're working on is called tentatively called Dark New England. Um, it's a update and revision of the old Dark Colony book, which was the, a first edition Vampire the Masquerade book that was focused on New England. So it was all five New England states, Maine, Vermont, New Hampshire, Massachusetts, Connecticut, Rhode Island, that's six, I can count. But it was all of New England. Um, but the problem with Dark Colony was it was literally two pages about the states and then like 20 pages of NPCs who were terrible. Sorry, that's that's harsh. They weren't terrible. They weren't great. They were they were first edition NPCs. Exactly. First edition NPCs. <laughs> that's the perfect way to sum it up. Yeah. Um, and I looked at the book and I said, I'm from New Hampshire. My whole family all the way back to 1632 has been in New England. I can write a better book than this. Like, uh, I will accept a little bit of hubris in saying that, but I'm like, I think I can write a better book than this. Um, so I sat down, I got a couple of co-writers and I said, okay, like, these are my ideas. Let's put this together. Um, and what we're doing is we're doing a complete, like complete chapter for each state on vampire plots, NPCs, and story hooks about different locations in each of the different states. So right now we have about 30,000 words just on the states themselves, just on plot for each particular state, um, just different concepts that you can play with. Um, along the way, creating the book, we actually had one of our writers drop out, um, but it's good reasons, like they just had a lot of stuff going on, so they didn't really get to dive into the project very much. Um, my uh, my first, like second co-writer, as it were, though, he ended up writing almost... 50 pages of npcs 
by himself. Holy, holy cow, man. The guy's a machine. Yeah, that right. Exactly. That's what I said. I was like, holy cow, this is so much stuff. Um, and we actually recently recruited, and I'm not giving out any names. It's the only thing I, I can't because of, of, of NDAs. Um, and I can't dive too, too deeply into the actual content, but um, we got a, a consultant. Um, she is she's a Native American um, and she is a writer. She has a, a lot of, she has like a huge background of writing, um, but she's never done RPG work. So I connected with her because I wanted to focus a little bit on, I'm trying to be very careful about what I reveal here, uh, but I wanted to take a look at what about a possibility of there being vampires in the Americas prior to European vampires showing up. And okay, we know that makes sense, definitely. Yeah, and we know both from like some of the older White Wolf books and like uh, Beckett's diary that there are some, but it's never developed very well and it's not written by people that know what they're talking about necessarily all the time. So I wanted to I wanted to find someone that could write these potential vampire ideas in a way that was culturally sound, that was interesting, that was deep, um, and the person we're working with is definitely helping us do that. Um, so that's going to be an element of the book. It's going to not just focus on, you know, European settler sort of vampires and their sort of like focus in New England, but also what about the people that were here beforehand? And what if they had vampires amongst them? And what the fuck do those vampires think about all the shit that's happened? That's what I love. That, to be honest with you, um, and I, I don't want to dive too deep into the book because obviously, like you said, you got to be selective with what you say. But I'm just going to say, as one of my favorite concepts um, about vampire stories outside of even White Wolf. Before I even got into White Wolf games, I was a fan of Anne Rice's earlier works and a lot of in her second and third novel, a lot of what she expanded on was uh, vampires in, in history and in different parts of the world. And I found that White Wolf has some really interesting concept that they, like you said, that they have hinted at, wrote a little bit about and leave room to expand upon, which is really awesome, which it sounds like what you're doing. Uh, so I'm, that's awesome to hear. And uh, I'm going to keep my eyes open for it. And I'm sure everyone will keep their eyes open for it. And we will be, uh, we'll be eagerly awaiting that. So I, I think you. the most like uh, most helpful thing, like that I'm going to have to be aware of as we're about to put this thing out there is that there is way more than what any normal white wolf book has that we've created so far. Like I said, we have, um, we had 50 pages of NPC stuff. We're almost at 75 pages of NPC material and we're probably going to hit 80 or more pages of NPC material when we're done. Um, oh, damn, that's, that's, that's awesome. <laughs> but, but a lot of it's going to have to either be cut or put into another book because I think that's going to be too much. You know what I mean? Um, it's, tons of good stuff so we just got to figure out the right way of, of like getting it out there but um i think i'll leave that like with a point of advice to people like as you're creating these things it's okay to over create because then you can always like selectively like reassign that material to other stuff which is what professional game developers do all the time they overwrite and then they realize hey i'm phil brucato and i have a billion page book now i need to cut the billion page book into to seven <laughs> different books and you're gonna point. You guys can't see because this is a podcast. But then you're gonna point to that Mage Twentieth Tomb that's <laughs> yeah, in your bookshelf. That's exactly. also in mine, but I'm afraid to open up at times because <laughs> it's so heavy. Don't want to get a hernia. Yeah. All right. Exactly. That's a perfect way to end off right there. So all right. So we're gonna take a break, and when we come back, I'll be talking about things that are coming up on our channel. And uh, so stay tuned. High level games, the industry's first choice in taking your games to the next level. We are a podcast blog and new media network at highlevelgames.ca. We have blog posts about all of your favorite games going up five days a week and a podcasting network with actual plays and shows that discuss role-playing games with more rolling out all the time. We are on iTunes, Twitch, and YouTube. Find out more information at highlevelgames.ca, a site that certainly isn't controlled by a shadowy board of directors of otherworldly origin. That's highlevelgames.ca. Please. Help. They're coming.
All right, welcome back. So this is where you're going to have to hear me ramble on a little bit about stuff that we have going on in our channels. So the topic about editing that we that we were talking about, about books uh, kind of is a good segue into something that I, I re- recently finished up is I am going through our podcast versions of our gameplay. So for those of you who don't know, when we originally started as a channel, and we still do this, is when we get done playing a session, we just post it on our YouTube channel, like unedited, just full. You watch it. You see all the looking through books or the side talk or whatever. And then I had an idea to break it down into what I called chapter video so i'd post a session and then like a week later i'd i'd post three separate chapter videos of roughly about an hour each where i try to edit to the best of my ability and mind you uh what my definition of trying to edit back then and editing now are, are night and day difference but i would edit out like the best of my ability some of the small talk and then what i did was i audio ripped those and i posted them as uh these podcasts and I did this really corny, like just me in an empty room saying, this is our game. Welcome to our game. And I went back and listened to one and it was very cringeworthy for me. Not saying those of you who have listened and I appreciate you listening, you have bad taste, but I'm just saying that like I, I listened and I was like, oh man, I didn't know what I was doing at the time. So I went through and I created new uh, podcast introductions for all of our gameplay videos and just edited all those at first. So they had music and stuff like that and the narration. But then slowly I started going through each of the podcasts and I started editing out side talk or and started fixing to the best of my abilities some of the audio, some slight audio issues. Because back then when we first started playing, we had a tendency to talk over each other. And now we're not bad like that. Now we know to mute our mics or whatever. And I was able to, I recently just finished doing our first Twin Seas by Night story arc negligence. And I pretty much trimmed it down from about 18 hours of audio down to a little less than 14, just, you know, getting rid of the side talk. And I found that, and what I would do is I would edit it. Then I would like post, replace the file on SoundCloud, which is awesome. They let you do that. So you don't have to post it all over again. And then I would sit there and listen to it before I would tell anyone and just like listen to it with fresh ears, like these editors do. And I'd be like, holy cow. Then I'd t- ask someone in our group, I'd be like, hey, can someone take a listen to this and tell me what you think? And the general consensus before I started telling people about it was this is smoother. It's easier to follow. It's not so distracting. You're in the scene and you don't have to, he- you know what I mean? You're just in it. And then it, it felt great. And it's something I'm, not, I'm really happy with. So I recently uh, just got done with the first story arc, Negligence. So if you guys want to go find it, you can find it on iTunes or whatever your podcast app is. Uh, there, there'll be a link in the video or in the description here. And just take a listen to it if you want to. And if you do happen to enjoy it, uh, that's awesome. If you could leave a rating, that'd be great. If not, I totally dig it. You know what I mean? So also second thing is uh, Andrew finally got me. Andrew, for those of you who don't know, is plays in a couple games on uh, played in Victorian and the World of Darkness game and plays in the Changeling game now and is about to play in the new arc of Twin Cities by Night. Finally convinced me to create a Discord server. It wasn't actually me who, who created it. It was Andrew. He created it. He's managing it. We kind of noticed that a lot of these content creators kind of have a Discord server, you know, where people can come and join. Uh, yes, I'm trying to trying to, to emulate them. And I, I, what they say, like, uh, emulation is like the biggest form of flattery. So for those content creators who happen to listen to this are rolling their eyes and be like, oh, they're trying to be like us. Uh, yes. <laughs> <You> know, <laughs> we're just, we just started a Discord. So it is the, it is just what it is, just to see. So if you guys like Discord and you want to jump on there, that'll be in the link in the details too. We'll, well, the link will be in there. Next Saturday, next Sunday is our Changeling Lost game that Adam is running. Man, Adam is so immersed into creating this Changing the Lost game. First of all, I've never played Changing the Lost before. I read the book when he announced he wanted to play it, and it became quickly, and I know someone's going to slap me upside my head, but of all the books I've read, for white wolf like core books i find that changeling the lost is the most horrific it is it deals with subjects of like kidnapping ptsd just like the horror of wondering if you're going to be dragged back trying to be uh, uh trying to, to trying to fit into society again after dealing with horrors and just trying to find um comfort and in, and in, in those that are like you and awesome awesome setting I, I backed the Kickstarter for second edition without even a thought because I love just reading the game. So now we're playing the now we're playing in the game, and we already have our character creation session that's out. We have the first session, so I'm ready to jump into that and deal with that. Uh, then we have Wars on Fire going on, uh, which uh, is just that game just blew my mind. Originally, I just started running that game 
as like a break from the Vampire the Masquerade Twin Cities by Night games we run, thinking it was going to be like a hack and slash. Everyone gets to play Sabat and just whatever, wreck hell, have three or four sessions of it, and then we can go back to playing the serious game. And this game ended up being like the serious game compared to not to my other Vampire the Masquerade game. Not to downplay Twin Cities by Night, but man, it's like the themes we deal with, it became so character-driven and about like dealing with humanity and the loss of it and and and, and evolving into something else and just that I'm just like flabbergasted. So I'm really happy with that how that game is going. That's probably gonna be wrapping up though in two or three sessions or uh and then and then we'll be doing Twin Cities by Night again. And then finally uh because uh, I know you guys are tired of hearing my voice. Next month, our guest on the Brian Diaries will be Brendan Carrion from Full Metal RPG. He's going to be here t- joining us, talking about setting the tone and and theme and and Vampire the Masquerade on World of Darkness games. So those are really critical roles. And a lot of people, I feel, including me, when I first started running uh, Vampire the Masquerade Twin Seas, when I felt it was hard to do and the challenges of it, you know, because a lot of these games, uh, and again, part of the reason why editing was so important in those podcasts is you'll be running a serious scene. And one person says some wise crack comment in the middle of it, and they could just dissolve the scene and how he's going to, him and I can talk about uh, advice on how to set the scene, how to get the players to understand what you're trying to do so they can feel vested in it. Because I felt in the Giovanni Chronicles game that I played with Brendan, he was just awesome at that. Just like totally awesome at setting the scene. And I literally felt exhausted after playing that game just because of how immersed I felt in it. I took away a lot of lessons from trying to emulate what I saw him do into my own games. And I feel that's part of the reason why for those of you who have watched us from day one, kind of see the change now, how uh, of the tone and how we are as a group. So again, Josh, thank you for joining us, man. You are totally awesome. I can't, I'm going to say, I'm going to say one more time again, like this scene is full of some amazing people at times. And Josh is one of those people who never, gives a sign of ego never gives a sign of that he's better than anyone and is always quick to sit there and answer my dumb questions and i usually <laughs> you don't have I, dumb questions man you have good <laughs> questions you have questions to make me think and i'm like oh man what what is <laughs> what is going on with that so yeah it's it's i try to i'm one of those people who try to surround myself or interact with positive people in whatever scene because i find, i find sometimes i get grumpy and when being around positive people they like kind of centers me and makes me you know what i mean realize my old man grumpiness is kind of ridiculous at times so thank you again for everyone watching again in the notes uh in the details there will be all of josh's stuff so you can find all of his stuff and everything i've talked about uh and i don't think i have anything else keep drinking cold brew i'll talk to you guys later The Los Angeles metropolitan area is constantly growing and changing. The central district is full of new buildings. The Hollywood and Wilshire districts, once far from downtown, now are part of a which spreads past Beverly Hills and out to the ocean. Why is all this going on in Los Angeles? Why is Los Angeles an exploding city? Neon Masquerade. The Demon's Mirror. Thirteen Candles. Three Chronicles running through the undead veins of the City of Angels. The Esoteric Order of Role Players Actual Play Podcast invites you to drink deeply. Go to EORpodcast.com and search the Duets tag to find out more.
like World of Darkness? Do you want to introduce your friends to it? But there's one problem. Nobody reads books anymore. This presents you with a problem, doesn't it? You want to get your friends into these awesome games, but they don't have the time or wherewithal to read any of them. Well, that's where Brett the Hitman comes in. Brett the Hitman, your one-stop shop on YouTube for all things related to World of Darkness. Currently in the middle of his Werewolf the Apocalypse series, which is showing tremendous growth. It's going to the moon! That's right, watch Brett the Hitman and you will get style. Flair. Humor. <laughs> and of course, some dank meme magic. Fucking normies. <laughs> Brett the Hitman on YouTube at youtube.com slash I love other people's misery. So watch now. If only for the dank memes. Tune in today!